G uh, George Orwell. Uh, yeah, George Orwell, just briefly, uh, if you're not familiar with Eric Arthur Blair, uh, born actually in uh, British India, uh, died at University College in, uh, in, in London. Uh, he wrote uh, what is uh, known as 1984, a book that uh, basically basically says that the world is on pace to become a police state. The reason I bring this up is because I was speaking to a guy uh, yesterday that had, that had done uh, boarding school in London and then done, uh, done uh, some university studies in economics in Toronto. And how amazing. He has quite a, quite a few years on me. He was uh, a fellow that's uh, in his, uh, in his I'd say, 70s now. Uh, and I'm not in my 70s. I've got a few decades to go, uh, fortunately. But, uh, but he, says, he says over his lifetime how appalled uh, he is and uh, that, that that's exactly uh, the path that we're headed on with cameras everywhere on street corners. Um, and, 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 and what is happening in California is what we're going to be addressing today. Uh, host of the Hidden Truth Show, uh, Jim Breslow, uh, a Fox analyst, and uh, he's been on CNN. Uh, he's had his own radio show. The Hidden Truth Show is what he currently does. Uh, he's a former civil rights attorney in, in L.A., uh, but he'll be joining us to discuss these incredible fires that burn uh, throughout California. And it seems like they've been going on for uh, over a decade now, where these uh, incredible kind of camp, quote, campfires seem to uh, totally destroy acres and acres and acres and acres of pristine California forest and obviously uh, people's homes. To re- uh, mention discuss your truth started we're, we're coming up on our three-year mark uh, next month we're just a few weeks away through a few weeks away from our three-year mark Stephen Stephen Kinzer has joined us former New York Times columnist John Perkins former New York Times best-selling author uh, Nomi Prince former Goldman Sachs um, uh, uh, employee Chris McDaniel uh, senator from Mississippi Tom Hartman has joined the program he'll be joining us again in February Tom Hartman by Progressive Map Magazine is ranked the number one talk show talk show host in in, in the country. Uh, he has uh, I think something like seventy million uh, folks that that have access to his uh, literature and Daily Show and and a former television program. I think that and I think that that mark was when he was uh, with uh, RT. He had a program with Russian TV. Uh, but Tom Harmon will be joining us in, uh, again uh, in February. Cynthia McKinney, six, former six term. Uh, Congresswoman has joined us, Paul Hellyer, the highest-ranking Canadian uh, politician in North America. Uh, excuse me, uh, highest-ranking politician in North America. He is Canadian. Uh, longest tenured is what I basically mean by that. Uh, Paul's now in his 90s, incredible, and he's still uh, a workhorse. A workhorse. Paul Craig Roberts, former economist under uh, in the in the Reagan administration, and uh, and yes, uh, we will right now. Um, uh, bring on uh, Jim Broslow. Uh, calling Jim. I can. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Uh, Jim, nice to connect with you. 
Uh, welcome to Windward Radio and Discussions of Truth. Uh, it's, great to, it's great to have you join us. Uh, Jim, uh, it, it's, uh, it seems like you're in, the, uh, you're in the trenches there in what's happening in California. For, for listeners, and, and by the way, if you haven't heard of Art Basel, we are uh, broadcasting live at Art Basel. It's, a, it's an annual festival uh, that, that comes to Miami uh, based uh, in Basel, Switzerland. Uh, brings in about 100,000 people to the Miami area on, a, on, a, on an annual basis. So uh, Windward Radio, Radio is set up at uh, Art Basel Untitled Tent, and, uh, and we are currently live uh, at uh, Art Basel. But, but Jim, uh, uh, tell listeners a little bit about you. I mentioned briefly uh, uh, about who you are and what you've done, but uh, from word of mouth, uh, uh, give listeners a little bit about uh, who you are. Okay, cool. So, yeah, uh, I was a lawyer and uh, worked at an international law firm, and we represented companies defending against civil rights claims, typically by employees against companies claiming that they were uh, discriminated against based on their race, sex, religion, sexual orientation, etc. And I I did that for eight years and then uh, left there to go to work for one of our clients, which was actually a gaming company. They made slot machines and also lottery equipment. And so I left the law firm to run this company called Diamond Game for about 16 years. And then we sold that company uh, ultimately to the Stars Group, which is Poker Stars. If anybody's familiar with them, they're merging now with FanDuel. Um, So I kind of took a year off after that and then decided to pursue my lifelong passion of broadcasting. And I'd had some shows in the past, but never really committed fully to it. So for the last uh, year and a half to two years now, I've been uh, I've had my own podcast doing investigative journalism uh, as a a part of a company that I started called Realcast. Uh, The show is called The Hidden Truth Show. The idea being that we're going to search for the truth behind the most controversial issues of our time that aren't getting enough attention by the mainstream Trump obsessed media and find the truth irrespective of politics, religion, political correctness, uh, just find the truth. So we've covered a number of topics. I know you want to talk about some of them today, uh, but the one that we launched with was the Las Vegas shooting because it had just happened a couple months before we launched, and we thought that that was a, an issue that wasn't getting enough attention. Now, that's that's interesting, and, and certainly mass shootings. I was just kind of looking at that the other day, and it seems that Columbine happened uh, now uh, 20 years ago, and uh, and before that, there was a shooting in Oregon. A kid walked into an elementary school and, and shot up at 14 or so of his students. And 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 a common link, at least through those two that I that I looked at, uh, was that uh, one of them was on Prozac, and another one was was on some other uh, 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 psychiatric drug. Um, but regardless, if we go back to over the course of, of a couple decades, and it's 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 enlightening in a sense that. That somebody with your uh, background and expertise is saying, "Hey, wait a look, look, there's there's something going on, and I want to dig deeper because the garbage that I'm getting on mainstream is not what I should be wasting my time thinking about." And you know, the Trump show or you know whatever the, this this ridiculous uh, uh, soap opera that uh, it seems to be going on and, and, and taking the country absolutely nowhere. Uh, I guess it's better than uh, fighting uh, oil wars in the Middle East, uh, but that's still going on as well. But uh, uh, regardless, tell us, Jim, what did you find? What was intriguing uh, that you found uh, in regards to uh, the Las Vegas shooting? Uh, now, keep in mind for listeners, um, uh, you've you've gained a claim 
for having sat down with, uh, aside from the, the, these Las Vegas shootings, but you've sat down with uh, Caitlyn Jenner, or at least you've interviewed Caitlyn Jenner. You've uh, interviewed also Malik Obama, the half-brother of, uh, of President uh, uh, Barack Obama. Uh, but regarding the Las Vegas shooting, um, uh, you interviewed a fellow named Bruce Paddock. Is that correct? Yeah, he's the brother of the shooter. The shooter has three brothers. You've heard from one of them quite a bit named Eric. He's the one who was on television the next day quite extensively standing outside of his Florida home. And he's, he's quite verbose and quite a personality. And um, I hate to say it, but almost seemed like he kind of enjoyed uh, speaking to the media about it. It seemed a little bit kind of cold and insensitive when it came to the victims. So it kind of made you wonder just a little bit about him. Um, and then there's two other brothers. One lives in Arizona and works, uh, he's a government employee. Uh, I'm blanking on his first name, but we haven't heard from him at all. By the way, we haven't heard from the mother at all. The mother is still alive and living in Florida. She has yet to ever make any public comment about it. Uh, but the other brother is Bruce Paddock and he lives in Los Angeles. He was facing child possession of child pornography charges in Los Angeles. That's interesting because uh, um, Stephen Paddock, the shooter, supposedly they found child pornography on his computer. Hmm. Weird connection that the two brothers both are related to child pornography. Were they trafficking in it? Uh, were they consuming it? We really don't know. Uh, but I sent my assistant to the courthouse to try to find Bruce because I knew he was going to be appearing uh, for some type of an arraignment. And she struck up a conversation with him. He was in a wheelchair. She offered him a cigarette. Next thing you know, they're chit-chatting and she invites him on the show and he was on the show like three days later. So it was pretty astounding that we were able to get him on on the show, which by the way is called The Hidden Truth Show. You can get it on YouTube and, and as a podcast. Um, that we're able to get him on the show while he's facing criminal charges. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he actually w was trying to do a little exchange with me where I was going to help him find a criminal lawyer, kind of in exchange for him agreeing to being on the show, which I did try to connect him with a few uh, criminal lawyers. I think ultimately he had a public defender. Uh, but yeah, this was the first time that he had spoken out. By the way, he was found because of the shooting in Vegas. So you can imagine, you know, the shooting happens on October 1st and, um, you know, the FBI uh, gets involved and so on and they're trying to talk to anybody and everybody and obviously family members would, would, would be an obvious one. And so they're searching for the family members, including Bruce, and they find out that this guy has charges pending against him and they, they located him and also arrested him. So he was kind of arrested as a result of what his brother did in Vegas. Uh, he ultimately beat the charges, uh, but when we interviewed him, uh, it uh, they, he was they were still pending. And you know everything regarding that shooting was still very much up in the air as far as what happened mm -hmm. at the time that we interviewed him. So my interview got quite a bit of attention because people were really scrambling at that point just to learn anything or they could about it to, to try and understand what had happened. Fantastic. And, 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 uh, uh, what really has gone on there in, in the Las Vegas shooting? Is this, is this, I, I just frankly didn't look into it very much. And, um, and of course there's, you know, even dating back to, uh, you know, Har uh, uh, Har Oswald at uh, the JFK was, was he a, was, was he a pawn, right? Was he set up? Was this a, was this a, a, a CIA, uh, cover up uh, somehow was was are there any links? Are you finding anything uh, 
puzzling about or controversial about the Las Vegas shooting, where was this was this seriously just a random guy that that uh, that, that, that cracked his uh, broke his uh, window in the hotel and just started shooting a mass uh, uh, you know, concert venue, shoot up a concert venue, or was this uh, was this some sort of a uh, again a cover for a, a deeper political agenda? To, to you know to, to mm-hmm. what have you found? Mm-hmm. Well, bottom line, I do believe that he acted alone and we could kind of walk through what I think his motivation was, Um, you know, and I don't think it was political uh, per se. He was kind of a gun guy. He was kind of an anti-government guy. Um, And you kind of see that as a consistent strain in some of these shootings. But a lot of the theories that have been out there was the reason why we wanted to investigate it because it was just very odd. The way the police were handling the case was very odd. Um, And, you know, it turns out the Las Vegas police did have some things to hide, including some serious, serious incompetence by the police. Uh, They also were refusing to release the most basic information regarding their investigation. Uh, The the Nevada Supreme Court had to intercede and and require them to release the information. So they they acted very strangely throughout. But, um, you know, the biggest theory was there was multiple shooters because if you talk to anyone who was there, you know, there was 15 to 20,000 people there. Uh, Everyone I spoke to that was there thought that there were multiple shooters because they were hearing different types of rifle sounds and they're hearing them coming from different directions and they were hearing just too many shots for it to be one gun. But I think all of that can be explained by the echoing that was going on because of all the tall buildings around them, not to mention an active audiovisual uh, system that, you know, remember uh, Jason Aldean runs off the stage and I don't think they ever cut the mic. So the, the audio system is picking this up. Um, so as I said, everyone who was there thought it was multiple shooters. They didn't know where it was coming from. They thought it was coming from the ground. Um, they thought this, this was a major, major terrorist act. Yeah. Um, for hours, literally hours afterwards, everybody was on pins and needles. And any sound they were hearing, they thought was shot. So you get reports of shooting going on up and down the strip. So there was lots of things to investigate to, to think that it was more than just one. But after all of the investigating that uh, Las Vegas police did, FBI did, independent people like me uh, looking into it, my conclusion is consistent with Vegas police and FBI that he acted alone and that he was disgruntled. I, I, I could go into the details as to his motivation if you'd like, but I, I think that ultimately uh, I'm agreeing that he acted alone. Now that doesn't make a lot of my listeners happy because a lot of them uh, tend to be more conspiracy minded and think that no way was this a, a guy acting alone. Uh, the last wrinkle I'll, I'll just throw in there that was odd is that ISIS yeah. claimed, claimed responsibility for it twice through their, yeah, through their official PR channels. And supposedly, they had never falsely claimed responsibility for a terrorist act prior to Vegas. So the fact that the FBI concluded that it was not ISIS, I find to be extremely significant and something that there ought to have been more discussion of because that would tend to tell you that there really has been some deterioration of ISIS if, this is the, if we can prove that they falsely claimed responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. That brings up a brings up a, a really intriguing point. What was it about 
that shooting, Jim, that caused you to start the Hidden Truth? What caught your uh, what caught your interest about that shooting that caused you to in- investigate it and start this show? Yeah, well, it was the largest mass shooting in U.S. history, yeah. um, and we were just a couple months out, and in, in, in we had very little answers as to what had happened. Uh, the Las Vegas police was not being forthcoming at all about their investigation, and the mainstream media had moved on to the latest Trump tweet rather than continuing to report on such a very important act. I, I had a kind of a personal um, closest to it also. I was supposed to be at the show. I had it in my wow. calendar to go to the show. I live in Los Angeles. I go to Vegas pretty regularly. In fact, I'll be there this weekend. And Jason Aldean is performing this weekend in okay. Vegas. Um, and, and there's going to be a Route 91 event uh, after that kind of a after party. All the people that were there have kind of formed a community and they, they, they keep in touch with each other, kind of as a support group, et cetera. I mean, you know, even if, I mean, keep in mind, you know, 58 people dead, 500 people shot, another however number of people injured uh, through, you know, by trying to get out, et cetera. And then a lot of them suffering PTSD. So, and then, of course, you had the borderline shooting here in Thousand Oaks, California that happened right. about year later, which is just absolutely stunning. Yet again, you know, country music fans uh, target, not targeted, but but impacted. And um, someone who, one of the people killed at the borderline shooting had been at the Las Vegas shooting. So we're living in a world today where mass shootings are so common that people are subjected to more than one in their life. That's disgusting. That's absolutely horrendous. And I was recently in the Northwest uh, in, in actually in Montana and those folks up there are, there's a lot of people up there that are, that are purposely living off the grid and they're bunkering down and, and, and again not to really throw in that the, that the country is going to shambles but it's certainly not the country that I remember growing up in now Jim are you a native of California no I'm actually a native of uh, Florida I was born in uh, Clearwater Beach Florida um, and, uh, but we moved around a bit. So I also spent some of my childhood in Philadelphia and St. Louis. And then my family moved out to Los Angeles when I was 17 and pretty much been in LA since then. So I've been here for a long time, uh, but, uh, was, wasn't raised here. Do you, so 17, that's pretty good. Sounds like you probably went to a year or two of high school there and, uh, and, and, and you've been there for most of your life, obviously, or more than half of it. Uh, Jim, the, the California fires, and it seems like it's been happening now for 10, 15 years, they seem like they're a little out of control just from a, an outside as an outsider's perspective. There's, there's, you know, there's no fires like that that are happening in other states. It's in California. So as, a, as, as an onlooker from the outside, again, I say, wait a second. California's got the seventh largest economy, if I'm corrected, the seventh largest economy on the planet. It's basically its own country. It's like a major cog, a major cog in the economic wheel of the United States and the world globally. But why can't they contain these fires? And what's going on with PG&E, the Pacific Gas and Electric Company? Uh, It's gone bankrupt. What's happening in your mind, in your research? What's going on there with these uh, these fires in California? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've been writing a lot uh, for uh, foxnews.com about the problems in California, the fact that it is the wealthiest state per capita 
It's also the highest taxed state per capita, yet it can't seem to shoot straight. It can't seem to just do its basic knitting and provide the most basic services for people, such as addressing homelessness, addressing traffic issues, um, addressing wildfires. So, I mean, California is inherently subject to wildfires because it's a dry climate, and we also have uh, a lot of brush in the in these forests. So, and then it, it, it because it's so dry, and then we get winds. Um, you know, the fires can spread pretty quickly. So, that's why California is naturally subject to them. However, knowing that, you would think that we would take a lot of preventative measures to address it. However, the California legislature tends to try to take issues and create progressive solutions to them. So they would like to blame climate change for, right. the, for the fires and say that we need stricter climate change laws, yeah. uh, you know, clean air laws to address the forest fires. Well, the problem is if you're implementing those in a vacuum, in other words, you, the state of California is doing it, but not the rest of the world. Well, sorry, California, but you guys can't affect climate change by yourself. Yeah. You should be doing a Trump-like negotiation with China and saying that, hey, we're going to keep pull, we're going to keep doing what you guys are doing until you stop. And then, you know, we'll stop together. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't think we want to dig too much into the whole issue of climate change because it's 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 such a. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's a deep I, hole there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a deep hole, and 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 so forth, and you know, whether even if even if all countries got together, whether we could truly change the climate, right. I think is an open question. Yeah. But but certainly, I think everybody would agree California can't change it on its own. But instead, they've made that the priority. So now you want to talk about PG and E? Well, they've put a ton of pressure on PG&E and the other electricity providers in, in the state. I think there's three major ones because they're requiring the, to get them to get their energy from green sources. Okay. So these companies have been focused on trying to figure out how to meet these very strict standards. They can't get it from coal anymore. Soon they're going to say you can't even get it from natural gas. You got to get it from wind and solar. So guess what the focus of these companies has, has to been? It's been figuring out how to comply with these drastic requirements. And naturally, they haven't had the money or the time to focus on their power lines. So the big thing now is, you know, these power lines causing these fires. The power lines in an ideal world would be underground. You wouldn't have the problem of them blowing over in a, in a storm. At a minimum, they need better insulation. They need to be upgraded. They need the poles to be replaced. They need the whole grid to be upgraded. My theory is that hasn't happened because they've been focusing on the, 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 the green energy requirements. The, the last thing I'll say is that PG&E is, is being held responsible uh, for the... Um, the Northern California fire from last year, the Paradise Fire, right, right, and to the tune of, you know, tens of billions of dollars, and apparently it is true that it started with their electrical lines, but at do we really think this company should be responsible for every dollar of damage that resulted from this fire? I mean, 
at some point, wasn't the state of California required to get involved and help put the thing out? Wasn't the state of California, shouldn't there have been better brush clearance in advance so that the company wasn't responsible? But, you know, if you're going to hold these companies responsible for every dollar of damage, you're going to put them out of business. And that's basically what's happening. They are now in bankruptcy. And there's a big discussion now about the state having to take over these companies. So now the state's going to be responsible for them, and we we all know how well governments do running businesses. So, you know, this is just not headed down a good path at all. Yeah, and it sounds to me, you know, a lot of a lot of things that I'm listening to and reading uh, tie into, again, it's, it's, it's all theory, but it's tying into uh, repopulation, moving people into 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 larger urbanized areas, uh, forcing people out uh, of the uh, of the suburban areas. Uh, of course, and, and, and that's all theory, but it ties into, of course, the United Nations Agenda 21. Do you put any weight in any? Have you even looked at any at that angle? Uh, no, I haven't really looked at that. You mean is that being a, a, a cause of the virus? Well, right, exactly. Is, is that is that a poss- is, is it possibly uh, being uh, manipulated by man or some yeah. different companies? Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, we do. Everybody's been, of course, hearing about the homeless problem in California. I can tell you that the homeless are the cause of a number of fires. So that's that's another reason for the increase. And then I would also say generally that weather events are getting a lot more attention these days than they ever got before because of the climate change activists. They want to take every single weather event that happens and say that that's evidence of climate change. See, everybody shut up about you know anybody who's a skeptic look there's a fire in california we told you this was going to happen because of climate change so i think you're hearing a lot more about these fires for that reason because you know it's always been a problem and and yes definitely seems like there's been an anomaly in the past uh handful of years where there's been bigger fires um but they've certainly gotten a lot more nationwide uh attention and i would argue because of the climate change issue yeah, and, 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 and not to mention, uh, uh, but, uh, but we do a monthly report with J.P. Lindstroth, who's Florida-based. He's uh, got a Ph.D. from Oxford, uh, and he did a lot of research uh, as a Fulbright uh, scholar down in, down in Brazil. And so he's, he's delivered the past couple reports. He's delivered uh, uh, research on Brazil. And, of course, we know uh, Leo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has come out uh, about these, these ridiculous fires in, in, in the Brazilian forest. So, but it's it's again, it's kind of like who are you pointing fingers at? Do you bother pointing fingers at? Are you, you know where are you? Uh, where can the average citizen step in to help curtail these things? And and at the end of the day, if it is indeed climate change, because that seems to be a real the real thing that's that that we're all facing, um, which could eventually perhaps lead to extinction. Who knows? That's a couple hundred years down the road. We'd say, but but nonetheless, uh, climate is changing. And so then, who do you who do you point the finger at? Do you point the finger at the, the oil industry uh, running off of gasoline uh, cars? What's the what can we do? And that's the bottom line, really, of, 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 of these types of discussions is what can we do as average citizens? But Jim, let's go into uh, the homelessness problem uh, because that seems like it's unprecedented. Uh, what I want to slip in there before before we get your 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 angle on the homelessness problem is that. In a few weeks, we'll be we'll be uh, hosting Servando Gonzalez, who's a Cuban-born um, uh, historian, and he actually has dissected what happened to Cuba over the past um, uh, eighty years, and uh, and he says that there's there's something a little bit deeper, and that communism was really an instrument 
of uh, serving and researching how people, uh, human beings, react in that type of system. And he uses, uh, again, we'll be hosting him in a few weeks, but he uses a snippet and he says, hey, look, uh, political correctedness in the United States is a big thing where people are basically becoming afraid to really speak their mind. And, and, and I, I, I fully agree with that. I think that the political act, you, you, there's a point in being, and I, th I think, you know, regardless, I think that, I think that you've got Trump who doesn't have a problem speaking his mind, so I think that's refreshing for many people. But there again, it's kind of like he's got diarrhea out of the mouth sometimes where he shouldn't really be speaking. So there's not much, there's not much civility sometimes in what he says. But anyway, anyway Servando Gonzalez takes that snippet and he says, hey, look, political correctness was, 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 a, was, was, a, was a real fact of life there in Cuba where you, you couldn't. You could not say, I mean, that's not just Cuba, but it, it, you know, like Russia and China, I mean, communist type systems, you cannot speak your mind. And so is that, is that something that we are afraid of uh, in the United States? Is that something that we should be concerned of? Right now we have freedom of speech. We can say whatever the heck we want. We can say we don't like Trump and, and, and whatever. We can say we don't like Bush or whatever it is who we would do it. Was. But, but that's, that's, that's a part. I wanted to just slide that in there for listeners. Um, and but let's go to that homelessness problem, Jim, because I'd like you to talk about that and address that. It seems like it's completely out of control. Yeah, well, and for sure, there's a heavy political correctness uh, in the liberal parts of California, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, and um, so they they would the, the the left would like you to believe that these homeless people are just like you and me, and uh, you know if if their job just paid them more. Or if we could just keep their rents under control, they would be just fine. That the reason they're out on the street is that the landlord raised the rent on them or they're not getting paid enough at their work. Well, the truth is, I think the vast majority of them, and studies bear this out, have a chemical dependency and have mental health issues. Um, these people do not have jobs. Uh, they're not paying rent anywhere. They, they can't afford any place. It's not that they can't afford rent increases, but again, the California responds with some of their pet projects. So they say affordable housing is the problem and we need to put rent control into effect. So California has put statewide rent control. I'm not sure any other state in the country has statewide rent control uh, to, to address the homeless problem. Uh, well, we all know the statistics show that rent control is not good for creating housing because it actually stifles the, the building of housing uh, because profits are limited. It ac actually makes them raise the rent sometimes more because they know, well, I'm not sure if I can raise it next year, uh, or how much I'll be able to raise it next year, so they raise it the minimum amount every year. Um, so that's that's a problem. But yeah, as far as, we, we, we need to be upfront and honest about what's going on with these people. If they were rational people, if these homeless people were rational people and they couldn't afford to live where they were, then they would move to a place that they could afford. That's what rational people do. Not everyone is able to afford to live in Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, Brentwood, Pacific Palisades, Malibu. Only wealthy people can afford to live there. So what you do is if you can't afford to live there is you move, if you're in Los Angeles, you move to the Val the San Fernando Valley where it's a little less expensive. And if you can't afford to live in there, then you move up to Santa Clarita, you move to the Inland Empire, there's Riverside, there's San Bernardino. And you know what's actually interesting is that the average rental cost 
in Riverside, which is an hour east of Los Angeles, is about at the national average. So affordable housing is there. You just have a rational person would seek it out. And we all know that it's obvious that a certain one percenters live in Beverly Hills and then five percenters live. It's just common sense. And the other thing I'd say about affordable housing, it's like it doesn't make any sense that there's not enough housing in a free market. Supply always ends up meeting demand. The two, you know, they can get a little bit out of whack, but they, they, they catch up with each other. So if there's a demand for more housing, then more housing is built. Well, California has tons of environmental protections that make it very difficult to build housing here and very expensive. So you have government. What I say is whenever you see something getting out of whack with the free market, it's probably too much government intervention is the answer. And that's the answer here is that the government has gotten too involved in restricting building. Um, and hence the reason why, you know, housing has become more expensive here. So anyway, bottom line. So you need common sense solutions. We've got homeless all over the sidewalks. You have police not enforcing you have police not enforcing it. One of the issues that's come up is the Ninth Circuit, which everybody's familiar with the Ninth Circuit and, and being this very liberal appellate circuit, ruled on a case that actually I think was out of Utah um, where they, they the, the Ninth Circuit ruled that it is cruel and unusual punishment to arrest someone for sleeping on a street, sleeping on the sidewalk okay. if the city does not provide enough affordable housing. Now, there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but that is a crazy liberal ruling. Since when is it the government's responsibility to provide housing for its people? I mean, you hear the Bernie Sanders of the world talking about this as a vision where government provides you a job, yeah. government provides you a house. If Andrew Yang has his way, government provides you money, a freedom dividend. You know, government just takes care of you in every way communism. So in, in a Bernie Sanders world, that's what he would like. But the Ninth Circuit has already ruled that people are entitled to housing. Also, to say it's cruel and unusual punishment to arrest somebody, I mean, that's really bizarre. Cruel and unusual punishment is supposed to be about the actual penalty that you receive, you know, the, the, the punishment you receive for a crime. They're trying to say that it's cruel and unusual punishment to charge someone with a crime. Yeah. So it's a really out there ruling, but the impact that is it has had is it says basically that if a city cannot demonstrate that they have provided enough housing for its citizens, then it must permit their citizens to sleep on the sidewalk. <laughs> now, they actually, and so Cal at Los Angeles, in California, they embrace this. They say, oh yeah, we agree with you. We agree with you, court. Although I do have to say and give Los Angeles credit that it has recently decided to appeal that case and take it to the Supreme Court. So even the liberal city of Los Angeles realizes that, whoa, this ruling is a major problem for us if we can't enforce you know, basic vagrancy laws and loitering laws and this, that, and the other. Um, it's interesting because the people, the ruling just says that you have to allow them to sleep there. So in other words, be there at night. But, you know, they put their tents up and they don't take them down. And Los Angeles police theoretically could be sweeping them up during the day 
and allowing them to come back at night. But they don't. They they they're just hands off altogether. So you'll see just tents lining sidewalks in various neighborhoods. A lot of it downtown. A lot of it close to the beach. You hear about Venice yeah. a, a lot because that's part of the city of Los Angeles. Smaller cities in the area have been able to address the issue. You know, you know Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, uh, well, Santa Monica is its own city, but it has, it has its own problem because it's, it's a very liberal city and how it treats the homeless. But, you know, look, bottom line, if you're going to tolerate a behavior, you're going to you're essentially encouraging that behavior. So by. By coming up with solutions, I can tell you, like the city councilman Mike Bonin, who's my councilman, and he's one of the most uh, uh, outspoken about homelessness. He says that we need to provide them showers and beds and to- and and uh, toilets wow. and and trash collection on the street. We need we need to make their lives as comfortable as possible on the street. That's his solution. And so. how are they going to pay taxes? <laughs> They're not going to work. They're just going to sleep on the street. They're not going to. not going to work for that. No. Well, I, I guess he'll. He, in his mind, that would put them in a better position to go get a job because if they can take a shower, then they'll be nice and fresh for their interview. Right. Um, the other. The other thing, you know, everybody's like, you know, look, we need some immediate solution. We need some short-term housing now. But Los Angeles takes this attitude that people should be able to live wherever they want to live. So they think it's not right. To build housing for them in the rundown parts of Los Angeles, or better yet, out toward the desert where there's tons of empty space and construction is super cheap. That Los Angeles, who's got a big budget for this, they theoretically could build shelters out in the desert. And and apparently, after World War II, supposedly the soldiers came home and there was a housing shortage after World War II, and they and they built these. Uh, Kwanzaa, I think I'm pronouncing it right, huts. That's what these things were. And military men were happy to live in these places. Right, sure. They had a roof over their head. They were appreciative to have temporary housing. Why is that housing not okay for the homeless? I'm telling you, they are spending taxpayer dollars to build housing for the homeless in Venice, California. Venice is one of the most expensive zip codes. Yeah, right. In Los Angeles, it, it's up there with the Santa Monica's and the Brentwoods and so on. Why are you building homeless shelters in your most expensive areas? It makes no sense. Yeah, no, this this sounds totally out of control. And and where does this ruling come from? Who who set this legislation? Was that uh, was that San Francisco? Because listen, if I understand the Ninth Circuit, I, I know there's a courthouse in San Francisco, uh, uh, but I don't, I don't really know how that works. Is there a is there a region that kind of came up with this? Yeah, well, the Ninth Circuit uh, encompasses about five states. So it's Oregon, Washington, California, it's Arizona, it's uh, Utah, and I'm not sure uh, what else. I think this case came out of Utah, and so therefore theoretically applies in, you know, that's, that's now the law of the Ninth Circuit area until the Supreme Court overturns it. If it does, the first issue is, will the Supreme Court even hear the case? Um, But as I said, the positive news is apparently Los Angeles has jumped on board in trying to encourage the Supreme Court to take on the case. And, oh, I I think this would be a no-brainer. This would be overturned so quickly for those two reasons I mentioned. This this is not cruel and unusual punishment. This is talking about charging with a crime, not the punishment, number one. Um, And number two, where is this right to housing 
that you're getting out of the Constitution. There is no right to sure. to housing. The government is it doesn't have some obligation to build housing for for its citizens. Right, right, right. Uh, Jim, let's go into a, a, one other topic uh, before we before we we wind down. Um, what is what is your take um, and, and, and the take uh, from Hidden Truth on the transgender movement? Ah, great question. So I, I went from the Las Vegas shooting to transgender movement, and a lot of people couldn't understand why. But it was two two things that, in, in my view, was a mystery that wasn't getting properly covered. Transgender movement is like, whoa, where did this come from? All of a sudden, trans, it's transgender everything. And something that you barely heard about before. My theory, frankly, is that it is the fourth letter in LGBT, and LGB had pretty much already achieved the vast majority of everything they saw it. I mean, once gay marriage was approved, which happened very quickly, if everybody remembers, President Obama opposed gay marriage. Now you're called a homophobe if you oppose gay marriage. But Obama was elected president opposing gay marriage. So th th this activist group needed their next cause. So they went to the next letter in the alphabet, in the chain, which is the T, and took on transgender issues. And I think they've gone way too far with it Political correctness, again, taking over. I always say, look, every, there should be, I don't believe in any type of discrimination against uh, LGBT. I think all LGBT, LGBT should be loved and should be free to do whatever they want to do. Yeah. But there's still certain truths that we cannot deny. And one of them is that you are not born that way. But they absolutely are perverting the science to say that you are born that way. Um, and the American Academy of Pediatricians has come out with guidance that says that if your four or five year old boy says that he wants to be a girl, the best thing you can do for that child is to immediately give him a girl name and put a dress on him. Huh. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm really not exaggerating. And I, I interviewed a lot of experts and, and LGBT experts who really say, whoa, that guidance is just not correct based on the science that you know, it really, you know, a child that age is way too young to dictate that. And there's all kinds of reasons why a boy could be saying that he wants to be a girl at that age. And and changing the sex at that age is just totally improper. Now, if you're born that way, though, which is what they would like you to believe, then you would say, yeah, the sooner you put a dress, if this kid was born a boy, but he's really a girl, you're right, put a dress on him as soon as possible. But the truth is that is not the case. In fact, what we discovered is that the most likely cause of transgender happens at a very, very young age. Trauma at a very young age, and I'm talking zero to three years old, uh, is most likely the cause for transgender. And with proper uh, therapies, I mean, this is trauma. PTSD is trauma. Trauma is a huge deal for psychiatrists and psychologists to deal with. That's what they're dealing with most of the time is trauma, whether it's PTSD-type trauma or childhood trauma. But there are, there are methods to work through that trauma. And we've talked to a number of uh, psychologists who basically say that they can help someone work through that trauma and that gender dysphoria that they feel, that's what it is, gender dysphoria, can go away. Gender dysphoria can be treated. You are not born with gender dysphoria. So a man that was married, had kids, and later on in life decided he wanted to be a woman, at least that's my understanding. What was, 
Caitlyn Jenner's uh, point of view on 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 being a transgender. Caitlyn is unique. Uh, to be clear, I interviewed Caitlyn's uh, partner, Sophia Hutchins, who's a fascinating transgender female who's just turned 23 years old and is Caitlyn's partner. Uh, but they're both pretty cagey about what partner means. Uh, but, you know, Caitlyn is a re Republican um, and, you know, even opposed gay marriage. So she comes about things a bit more conservatively. I don't think that she toes the LGBT line on this stuff necessarily, which I think is good that she's an independent speaker. But I think she's gotten sucked into the community now and she doesn't like being ostracized and, and you know, uh, b being called out by fellow members of her community. So I think that she's kind of caved on a lot of things, So I, which I think is disappointing uh, that she's not remaining an independent voice. Uh, Blair White is kind of a YouTube sensation personality, a transgender female we had on the show, and she is speaks very conservatively. She would say everything I just said about transgender, she would agree with. Uh, this, is, this is a transgender female. So there are independent voices out there, uh, but for the most part, it's political correctness run amok, and you, you have to toe the LGBT activist line. Yeah, Jim, it sounds like you're doing some great things on the uh, Hidden Truth uh, show uh, there in Los Angeles, and we appreciate your time coming on uh, Discuss Your Truth at Winwood Radio. Uh, some parting words for listeners, and uh, let, let folks know how they can contact you, where they can find the Hidden Truth, uh, Truth show, and, uh, and what your thoughts are moving forward uh, with, uh, with the country. Okay, well, thank you, Ian. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the Hidden Truth Show, you can find wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also find it on YouTube. And we do, do do deep dives, and I would just say that we're on a pretty exciting deep dive now where we're digging into those Navy videos which captured tic-tac-looking UFOs. Right. And, and we've, got, we've got a former military... Uh, person who says that that is U.S. technology. That this is a uh, this was a black project uh, built at Plant 42 in Palmdale, California, by the U.S. Air Force, and that cra those craft are absolutely incredible new technology. U.S. spacecraft that can go underwater, that can go in space, that can go in the air at incredible speeds due to anti-gravity technology that has been developed by the U.S. military and kept secret up till now, and that this, this information is going to start coming out more and more, but we really broke this story on our show. Wow, that's excellent. What date is that? Sorry? What, what date will... will uh, uh, well, uh, you, can, you can go. We've already done four episodes on the subject. So you can go and listen to the first episode that we covered. And, and frankly, what we've been doing since then is interviewing space experts, military experts, to analyze what this guy had to say and give their opinion as to whether or not they think this is what he's saying is correct. Uh, and what we've learned is this technology absolutely is possible. The Navy actually has been issued patents on this type of technology. It's world-changing. I mean, compared, it, it, there's the invention of the nuclear uh, bomb and yeah. nuclear power and and this i mean it's it's that big they're skeptical that this guy could could have this information so it's a very interesting story it's like what are these things are they earthly or extraterrestrial but we know they're real the navy's confirmed that they're real and who is this guy mike turber this former air force intelligence specialist who came on our show is this guy making this up or is he telling the truth how does he possibly know this but he claims to have first-hand knowledge based on people that he works with at Plant 42 as exactly what these things are, and they are not extraterrestrial. They are U.S. technology.
fascinating. Jim Breslow, ladies and gentlemen. Jim, some parting words for listeners. Uh, well, for listeners, uh, check us out, The Hidden Truth Show. Uh, uh, we, we'd love to bring you along for our, uh, listening to our podcast. Go to our Facebook page uh, and check out Hidden Truth Show. And uh, I would just say, um, going back to the original point of the conversation, mass shootings, my little personal theory there is the breakdown of the nuclear family is, what you're, is why you're seeing uh, all these suicides and these addictions and these mass shootings and so on. Uh, it, it's a, it's, it's kind of sad, but, but I, you know, the breakdown of the nuclear family in, in America is my biggest concern. Well said. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining the show. Jim Breslow, ladies and gentlemen, Jim, we'll talk to you, uh, talk to you later. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Ian. Jim Breslow, ladies and gentlemen, uh, former civil rights attorney in, uh, got a dog barking in the background. Pardon that. Um, former uh, civil rights attorney based in Los Angeles. And check him out on the Hidden Truth Show. This has been another edition of Discussing the Truth. Coming up on a three-year mark here next month. And we will likely open that up in the new year with a uh, Lindstroth report. Until then, ladies and gentlemen. If you are in Miami, enjoy Art Basel. Enjoy our Untitled. Keep listening to Winwood Radio. You can donate to us at winwoodradio.com, of course, or you can donate to this show, Discuss the Truth, and Ian Trottier, at iantrottier.com. That's I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. And until next week, when we bring on an incredible author, Amy Yarsinski. Just a, just a little 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 tidbit for you. Yarosinski is a former U.S. Naval Reserve intelligence officer. According to the Richmond Times Dispatch Review, gives compelling evidence that the military abandoned one of its own during the Gulf War. Hmm, might be a surprise. The Tampa Tribune called her No One Left Behind book, quote, a disturbing and frustrating tale of how one mistake or misstatement started a series of events that placed Spiker's life in jeopardy. That would be one Captain Scott Spiker and the cover-up of his death. And the Times of London called the Spiker story at best one of the excessive American caution, one of excessive American caution. At worst, it is one of, the, one of lies and cover-ups. Either way, the London, the Times of London says it amounts to an extraordinary betrayal of the United States military's proud boast that no man is left behind. Last week, if you didn't catch that episode, Courtney Cottrell joined us. She, talking about LGBTQ uh, or LGBT, um, she served faithfully, proudly the United States Naval community and the rest of us in the United States, uh, during her time through the Clinton Don't Ask, Don't Tell era. And she worked through that in so much she became a highlight and a strong leader uh, for others in the naval community. Uh, you can check her latest book out on, uh, on IanTrache.com. So, until next week, this has been 
Another discussion of truth with Ian Hamilton Trottier. I am he. This is Winwood Radio. And until next week at 5 o'clock, Wednesday, be awesome.